Well, good morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this new day. We thank you for your steadfast love and your mercies which new every morning. And we thank you for this time that we have now to sit together under your word. We pray that you might lead us, grow us and guide us, that we might become more like your son, our saviour, that we might bring glory to you in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we come to a passage this morning that urges us once again to hold fast to Jesus, to keep our thoughts fixed on him. It's pretty much the same key point that we spoke about last time I was up here as we looked at the start of chapter 2 of Hebrews. And indeed, the author of Hebrews is going to keep coming back to this point time and time again in the book. Keep your thoughts fixed on Jesus. Hold fast to him. And we might wonder why the author keeps going on about this. But you know, in the months since we last considered standing firm, we've seen devastating floods in our region and beyond. We've seen war erupt on the other side of the world and over two million people just like us flee their homes in fear of their lives. We've seen the easing of some restrictions, the rise of petrol prices, empty supermarket shelves, and the passing of sports stars. So much has gone on on a global and a national level, and that's not to mention the things that have happened in our own personal lives. Amidst all of that, how have we gone holding fast to Jesus, fixing our thoughts on him, devoting time to him, submitting our lives to him and his word? See, we might not be like that little church that the writer of Hebrews was was writing to, caught up in a tide of violent persecution and at risk of drifting away from Jesus because of it. But we sure are caught up in tides of busyness, competing opinions, distractions, pressures, fears, cultural ideologies. Our attention is pulled in every direction bar Jesus Our energy is pulled in every direction by Jesus. Our emotions and desires pulled in every direction by Jesus. And we too are in grave danger of drifting away from him. So why does the author of Hebrews keep pressing the point of standing firm, of fixing our thoughts? Well, because no matter who we are, no matter what age we live in, what part of the world... We exist in a spiritual battle of cosmic proportions where our enemy throws everything at us, at God's people, to try to to pull us away from our saviour. And we are such weak-willed creatures, aren't we? So fickle, so easily swayed, so easily distracted and and drawn away, chasing after those things which promise fulfilment but only ever lead to disappointment. The message to stand firm in Christ is one that we need to hear over and over again all the days of our lives. So let's look together at Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. 
Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Now, in the first couple of chapters of Hebrews, the author urged this small church not to drift back to the worship of angels. This was one of the pillars of the Jewish faith at the time. He'd been adamant that Jesus is better than the angels in every way. So hold fast to Jesus. He alone is our saviour and our God. And now he moves on to tackle another great pillar of the Jewish faith, and that is Moses. In verses 2 to 6, is it pains to stress that Jesus is so much greater than Moses. And we might ask, well, why would people be tempted to elevate Moses over Jesus? I mean, sure, he was a great leader by all accounts, but he was flawed. He was a murderer, disobedient to God at times. Why would some people be tempted to revere him so much? And the thing is, for Jews, there really was no one greater than Moses. They considered him the greatest man who ever lived. And there were many reasons for this. He was chosen by God. Remember the burning bush where the great I Am commissioned Moses to lead his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. He was Israel's deliverer freeing them from Pharaoh's grasp amid incredible miracles and displays of God's power. He was the greatest prophet that Israel had ever known, prior to John the Baptist, that is. The book of Numbers tells us that though God spoke to his prophets through dreams and visions, with Moses he spoke face to face. Moses had been in the presence of God, He had stood before God's glory and spoken with God as a friend. It's incredible intimacy. Not even the priests of Israel enjoyed this kind of closeness with God. Moses was the lawgiver. The Ten Commandments, the law, all the worship practices and sacrifices, all the teachings on the tabernacle and and the priests, it all came from God through Moses. That's why Israel called it the law of Moses. He was Israel's historian. He wrote the first five books of the Bible through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And amazingly, with all of this under his belt, Numbers 12 tells us that he was more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And this perhaps is the greatest miracle of all. Despite all that he had done, his commissioning by God, the great miracles performed through him, the time he'd spent in God's presence, the great deliverance from slavery that he'd led, his intercession for his people. Despite it all, Moses remained incredibly humble. He knew that every great thing was of God, not him. So although Moses was a remarkable guy, a remarkable man of faith, He was simply a servant of the God Most High. And the author of Hebrews really draws this out in verses 2 to 6. 
Now, don't let the talk of houses confuse you here. The house simply refers to God's people, those who belong to God. And in these verses, we see that Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. He was faithful. He did what God appointed him to do. He served the people, led them, taught them, walked with them, prayed for them, pointed them to God. He was an amazing man, but at the end of the day, he was simply a servant, a part of God's house, part of God's people, just doing the task that God had put before him. But Jesus, Jesus is worthy of far greater honour than Moses, because Jesus is the builder of the house. He is the builder of God's people, faithfully serving them, yes, but faithfully creating them, establishing them, and ruling over them. He's the son over God's house. God's people are his inheritance under his authority and his rule. Moses was part of the house. Jesus reigns over it in every way. Moses was but a a witness to Jesus, a signpost, if you like, pointing forward to the things that were to come and that reached their fulfilment in Jesus. Jesus is greater. To slide back to revering Moses over Jesus, uh, as these Jewish Christians were tempted to do, would be an immense mistake. Jesus is better in every way. It would be a bit like us elevating, say, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Billy Graham, Don Carson, David Jeremiah, Billy Houston, Mark Driscoll, whoever your favourite theologian or preacher might be, elevating them over Jesus. These guys may be wonderful in our estimation, but they are only part of the house, not the builder. They are servants, not the son. They are human, not God. Worship the one who is greater. Don't drift away by elevating anything over Jesus. No person, no opinion, no cultural ideology, no political persuasion. Jesus. He is number one and we must never drift from him. And so the author gives a command in verse 1. He says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle whom we confess. Now, apostle means the one sent. And so the author reminds us that Jesus was sent from God, by God, in love to this broken world, to save sinners like you and me. John 3.16 reminds us, or says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And he's our high priest, the one who atones for our sin and who intercedes for us before God. It's remarkable, isn't it, that Jesus came to earth. He took on flesh. He became like us in every way, was tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. 
and became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He paid the price for us. He washed us clean by his blood shed on the cross. He rose to life that we might be free from slavery to sin and death. And he clothes us in his righteousness to present us wholly before the Father. He stands in God's presence even now interceding for us. He is our great high priest. Better than Moses or any man, no? So fix your thoughts on Jesus, the author says. Fix your minds on him in such a way that you will not wander off. And this will hold you firm in the storms of life. If you're drifting today, if you know your mind is wandering from Jesus, and I I dare say most of us are in this category, then this is our challenge. But how do we fix our thoughts on Jesus? Firstly, there has to be desire. You've got to want it to want Jesus, to want to spend time with him, to to want to know him, to worship him, to be shaped by him. But desire alone isn't enough. Fixing our thoughts on Jesus requires concentration and discipline. Hebrews 12 reminds us of this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Concentration. Discipline. But then there has to be time. A fleeting thought once in a blue moon isn't enough. Fixing our thoughts on Jesus requires time. Unhurried. Undistracted. Time to saturate our minds our hearts, our souls in his word. Time to meditate on Jesus until we're captivated by him and our thoughts and our lives submitted to him day in, day out, until our race is run. So many Christians, so many churches are sick because we don't focus on Jesus. We're ineffective in this world, in God's kingdom, set adrift because we don't cultivate this focus. We don't have the desire, we don't have the concentration, we don't have the discipline, we don't take the time. These things are non-negotiables if we're to stand firm. We have to take the time and make the effort to fix our minds on Jesus. And how sweet the reward that waits. Seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Whoever drinks of the water he gives will never be thirsty again. The water he gives will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He earnestly rewards those who seek him. Jesus is our greatest treasure. He is our soul's reward. His arms are ever stretched out to us. It's we who so often refuse to come to him. So, the author urges, fix your thoughts on Jesus. And in verse 6, persevere. 
We are his house if indeed we hold firm to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. We're going to find this again and again in Hebrews. We've got to hold on to Jesus. We've got to persevere in our faith. We are his house, his people, if we persevere until our race is run. He is our confidence. He is the hope in whom we glory. And so we fix our eyes on him and hold firm. But there's one last thing to notice. The author writes, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. We are his house if we hold firm. This is collective language and it's no accident. The author reminds his audience of who they are, the church, the body of believers, a redeemed people, plural, brothers and sisters in Christ, co-participants in the heavenly calling, God's house. When we're saved, when we come to believe in Jesus, we're saved into a family, the church. We belong to one another. We need one another. We are to love one another, encourage one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. In John 13, Jesus says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Our faith is lived out in community. It's God's good design. Our growth as believers happens in communities. We rub shoulders with one another. Church community shapes us. It it rounds off, smooths off our rough edges. It teaches us what love is. teaches us humility, gentleness, kindness, perseverance, self-control. And this goes against everything our culture stands for, doesn't it? But it's no accident that the writer of Hebrews warns and encourages believers in communal terms. We need each other if we are to stand firm against the tide of this world that would sweep us away. We need each other if we are to continually fix our thoughts on Jesus. We need each other if we are to persevere in the faith. We need to be encouraging one another to to stay on that narrow road that leads to life. To be gently lifting one another up when we fall. Pointing each other back to Jesus when our thoughts get clouded or go astray. Edifying one another. Supporting one another. Gently restoring one another. Sharing each other's burdens. Grieving with those who grieve and rejoicing with those who rejoice, loving one another. It's easy to think that this is the pastor's job, not ours, isn't it? But that's not what the writer of Hebrews tells us, nor the rest of the the New Testament for for that matter. We belong to one family. We are one people under Christ. We depend on one another And we are responsible to one another. Do we take community seriously? How am I, how are you, 
helping our brothers and sisters fix their eyes on Jesus? How are we helping each other persevere in faith? Who can we be reaching out to this week to encourage in the journey? We are a storm-tossed church in a storm-tossed world. The tide is ever trying to pull us away. May it be that we fix our thoughts on Jesus and stand firm, shoulder to shoulder, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen.